So hey everyone, welcome to the Product-Led Podcast. My name is Andrew Kaplan, and I'm the host of the How I Got Here series. The How I Got Here series is where we take a break from the tactics and teardowns and instead get to know the growth leaders behind the numbers. We're going to hear about their journey into growth, how they've navigated their careers, and hopefully hear about a few mistakes along the way. Today, I am super excited to be chatting with Connor Bradley. Connor manages growth over at Jobber. Thank you so much for joining today. Thanks, Andrew. Happy to be on. And so at this point, you and I have geeked out over growth several times over the last couple of years. And so we've talked a lot about tactics, but I've never really heard much about your story. So this will be fun for me personally, and I think interesting for our audience as well. Totally. Looking forward to it. Cool, man. Well, let's get into it. For those that aren't familiar with Jobber, can you just give us the high-level overview of what Jobber is and how your role fits in? Sure. Yeah, no problem. So Jobber's home service software for companies, for small businesses like plumbers, cleaners, landscapers, basically any service company that's going property to property and providing service. Um, and really, it, they're walking around right now, they're going through their trucks and they have this big binder full of paperwork. And what Jobber does is it puts that paperwork inside of a desktop and mobile platform, which is really all of their quotes, their scheduling information, their invoices, their routing, Everything that they need to run their business, we put through into our software. And we're a B2B, you know, small business target, really running strong right now. And my role in that is managing the growth side. So growth's been a new thing for Jobber over the last three years now, I guess. I guess it's not as new, but it feels new. (laughs) And my piece of that is really looking across the business with this cross-functional team of designers, engineers, and marketers, looking at those gaps, looking at those opportunities within acquisition, activation, and retention. Where are those gaps? Where do we need to work? And then we'll just power that scientific approach of experimentation, provide a bunch of learnings for the business, and hopefully continue to grow this company is what we do. And how long have you been at Jobber at this point? So it's actually a unique story. I started my career at Jobber. Uh, I worked there for a year and then I actually moved out to Toronto. We have an Edmonton headquarters at at Jobber and uh, worked at a couple other roles. And then I came back to Jobber. So I'm kind of that boomerang employee. So I've been back at Jobber for three years, four years total. (laughs) And so your entire growth career has happened basically within Jobber. Is that fair? Yeah, totally. Totally fair to say. And so how did you get into growth? Like, let's, let's go back in time a little bit and talk about how this journey started for you. It's cool that it's at Jobber so we can kind of hear about the evolution and how you've grown as the company has grown as well, which would be cool. Yeah, totally. I mean, starting out at Jobber just just as my first first job, really, I was starting at that top of funnel marketing role. Really everything from like content marketing was buzzing five years ago. That was the search term that everyone was looking for. And that was what I was working on, was really trying to establish a content marketing strategy, all about top of funnel and leads and getting trials in. And then as my career transitioned, I started to get just deeper and deeper down into that funnel of understanding the actual revenue attribution of marketing, how I'm working with sales, how do these leads actually go from a trial into a sale, and then what do they do when they're actually converted? And I started to get really fascinated with the entire journey. And I think that's where the interest of growth came in. And that's where that position opened up at Jobber when Nick Keiko, our director of marketing, did a Reforge course and was like, we need this at Jobber. We have to have a team here. So he gets all the credit for advocating for a team to happen at Jobber. And he, you know, we had a good relationship. And so I came back in to Jobber in the first growth role and we started working together and, you know, really starting to get really attached to being able to do some more product-led initiatives and starting to actually feel what it likes to have the ability to really take that lens of marketing and design and engineering and build experiences in the product around them to help the growth of the company And once I got a taste of that, that was kind of it. I was like, okay, now we can do things in the product. This is super special. This is a lot of fun and haven't looked back since. 
Super cool, man. And so coming from the marketing side, how did you start to build these other skill sets that you talked about that you've kind of contributed to over the years? Like, how did you get into the lifecycle journey for the first time? How did you get into some of the product work for the first time? How did you navigate that stuff? I think the lifecycle journey and really getting to know the customers and getting to know like that workflow really was born out of me just being very curious and understanding the other roles in the company, building those relationships, listening to calls, listening to sales sell, listening to the success and product coaching coach, and starting to understand and be super fascinated by like, oh, that was a trial that I helped bring in. But there's a whole much more, there's a bigger story to that one trial. And that's where that kind of came in. And then the product side was really led through the education like format of like reforge. Like I got into a reforge course, starting to understand those elements of where you're affecting in those levers within the product itself. So I started to get really fascinated in that and then started really diving into the analytics of the business, starting to understand like Amplitude has all this great like retention playbooks and I'm just reading all this stuff. It's all coming together. So it was just kind of starting from square one on knowledge and then having to just get your hands dirty and try to learn as you go. And that's very typical, I think, with growth roles today. There's no real turnkey way to do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And everyone has a different journey and different background and mm-hmm. even growth at different size companies is kind of different. And so for those that don't know, actually, even just for myself, how big was Jobber during this time? Like you talked about being able to hear some of the sales combos and some of the go-to-market team chat with customers. How big was the company? So when I came back to Jobber in the growth role, we were at about, I want to say 90 employees, about 60 to 90 employees, somewhere around that range from what I can recall. So yeah, we had an established sales org, established success team, you know, really healthy pipeline coming in. And it was really, I think, good timing for a growth team to come in and start to bring that lens of that product-led optimization, new channels, new growth loops, new understandings, and, and exploration of other ways of doing things. Versus I think earlier on, if that would have started, it would have been kind of us just pretending that we had anything that we were able to do, where really it was like, there's no existing volume here to work with and try to understand how users could react with different experiences. Cool. And so the company was mature enough that you've got a decent data set to work with, but the team was small enough that you could still get that one-on-one interaction and a lot of feedback loops just from being in that small space. Totally. Yeah. And that's what, that was really unique about it. Like, and you know, the company itself was very open to the idea of the growth team and we were able to establish good relationships with product managers, the sales org and the success org to have that permission to give us some, some open space to explore without budding within too many teams or too many you know, other roadmaps or things like that that were going on at the company. Cool. And was that always the case? Like when you first started growth at Jobber, was there any period in time when you didn't have that buy-in or you might have accidentally stepped on anybody's toes or has that not been an issue since day one? We have moments where I suppose like there, there is some like direct Venn diagram overlaps of areas that we're looking at and another team that's also been looking in that area. And I really think like, you work through those relationships and try to understand the angle that growth's taking it versus the angle of that product team or that marketing team and how they're approaching it to find that pod structure, to find that common goal versus you know trying to find these independent agendas that aren't really lining up. And what helped with that for us, specifically within product, is initially we actually created like a, a product agreement with the product team. And it was really around us, because we were early on, we need to learn how to experiment, learn how to do this stuff. And we kind of had this rule where growth is going to experiment, but whatever code we're bringing in, we will like bring it out. Like the handshake agreement, it's like, you know, let us explore, let us try to understand how fast we can move, what it's like to work in this fashion. And so we did that in a really cool way. And I think it allowed us the, the ramp and opportunity to learn 
since then things have changed, but at that initial step, I thought that agreement was awesome for us. So I haven't heard this perspective before when you and I have chatted about growth. Can you just elaborate a little bit more, maybe without giving away the secret sauce? Like what is the agreement? Well, the agreement is is pretty like blanket statement. It's like, hey, we're here to experiment. Here's how why we exist. We're optimized for learning. We're not here to optimize for impact. We're not going to be polishing stuff. Here's our intent. Our intent is to learn for the organization. In order to do that, we can move fast through this experimental code, which was a new kind of concept for Jobber. And it was kind of like, we're going to get in, we're going to get our hands dirty. It's not going to look great, but our goal is to provide learnings for the organization and extract those learnings and let other teams execute and put the quality and the polish needed to bring that end impact. So we were looked at as a team that was just for learning at that time. And that allowed product teams when they're in their areas, they're like, oh, growth teams there. We know whatever they're doing, it's not going to be permanent and we don't have to sweat over it, which gave us that freedom and kind of fun to work with other teams where they were like, I know the growth team could go in there and actually just play around and see what they could learn. So that was really, really great. And uh, just gave us the headroom to kind of be like, what's an experiment? How do we run an experiment? How does this work? And, you know, not every experiment we ran was, was great. Like, honestly, we, we had to have a few, few failures and even designed failures and things like that to kind of get into a rhythm of what this world's going to look like for us. And earlier you were talking about us. Like, what was the first version of growth at Jobber? So the first version was actually, so Nick Keiko, it passed off to the former director of engineering. His name was Ben Zitlau. And so I worked under Ben and then we brought in a designer and then we brought in an engineer in as well. So we were cross-functional. So we had Ben and Andy, who were our two engineers at the time, Benji on design and myself as the marketing element of that. So we did have that cross-functional ability to work anywhere within the business and then as that org structure formed, we had new engineers coming in, new designers. And then, you know, now I'm leading the team with two engineers and a designer. So the, the team structure hasn't actually changed since day one uh, because there was commitment from the beginning that we were going to be cross-functional. We were going to have engineering and designing resourcing. That was the whole point. We weren't going to be a, you know, rebranded demand gen team. Sure. And what were some of those first couple of projects? If you can think back, like, you talked about you had this agreement that basically laid out how growth was going to operate and what you were going to be thinking about and approaching the work. Where did you actually start? So starting out was really about trying to... <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know, you start and you really you get hooked on all the data and all the things you should be having, a North Star metric. You know, are we daily active? Are we weekly active? Are we monthly active? What's our usage time interval? What's our retention? Do we have an activation definition? All of that stuff was kind of the work in the beginning. Like the work to do the work. Yeah, working on the work, yeah. working on the defined metrics. What is this? So a bunch of analysis with our BizOps team, trying to understand what matters and how people use our product. That was the initial kind of baseline we wanted to get to. And that's something we're working on like all the time, honestly. That yeah. never ends. It's always changing and we're always trying to understand it at a better level. And then once we got through that, we started to really work in that first-time user experience area when a user first signs up. What do they see when they first come into Jobber? What's our kind of like monetization strategies within our trial period? Are we able to leverage, you know, different types of strategies to get them to convert earlier or engage earlier? And that's where we started. And we learned quite quickly that our minimum viable, whatever we were putting out there needed to be higher over time. And we learned that, you know, through some gruesome experiments that we put out there, <laughs> that we were like, if I look back to some experiments we ran initially, I'm like, wow, we actually did that. And like, nobody said anything. That's awesome. <laughs> What do you mean? Just you were trying some stuff that was yeah, just... Yeah, like, 
you know, like you build an experience for first time users. And I'm like, if I had to do the proper polish on that, it would look great. But what we did was like this kind of half baked thing. And I think today it wouldn't be acceptable to kind of like launch an experiment with that level of like, you know, polish. It was kind of low, low fidelity. But now we're kind of at a, at a better place today on what our expectations are within that minimum viable test. Yeah, That's cool, though. I mean, during that time, how was it? Like, was it fun? Was it stressful? Were you stepping on toes internally with stuff like that? Or, or was it all green grass? I mean, it was really fun. I mean, for me, like to be able to move across the business and not have to be pigeonholed into one specific thing was like a, a really, really cool experience to be able to just look at the entire business. Like, let's go over here on the retention side. Oh no, let's move back to like that paid landing pages and let's think about what that's looking like. And just being able to be flexible enough to look at that. I think it was a lot of fun and brought a lot of variability to the team. I think what we started to learn though was like, and the tension and the fallbacks was like, what are we, what are we here for? Like, why do we exist? Like we're having mm. fun, we're learning, but like, what's the vision here? Like, what, what are we really trying to put together? And I think there was, you know, thoughts and considerations, but not enough work put into that, that really set us up for success cross-functionally with stakeholders on how to work with the growth team. Where does the growth team fit inside of the organization? It wasn't any arguments or debates. It was more like, where's this going? And I think that was the tension that was kind of felt and was always the unanswered question in the back of our minds that we had to work through over the, over the last few years. And so when does it make sense to take that on? It's a good question. I think when you start seeing success and start getting into a rhythm, like you've kind of nailed down your process as a team. We know how to experiment. We know our documentation. We know how we work and we know how we work with each other as a cohesive unit of four people on this growth team. And so once we got into that rhythm and started to really whip out a lot of experiments, started seeing some wins, started seeing some established processes, that's when it's like, okay, so now there's options to scale it. There's an option to add another team. There's an option to do this. And that's when the question comes up is like, where's this going? Do we need multiple teams? Is this like, can we just keep this team in this related function, just learning across the org? How do we embed it with product? How does it work with marketing? We have established departments and now we have this growth thing. Is it going to be a department? Is it not? So I think when you start nailing down your process and start getting wins and people start kind of noticing, that's when the questions come up. And that's the time to really understand and nail that vision and be able to get alignment with the other teams. You almost take like an experimental approach to the growth team, right? You're trying to experiment to see if there are wins to be gotten, if culturally you can head in a growth direction and experiment and challenge assumptions and all that stuff. And so it sounds like once you had kind of confirmed, you know, your hypothesis that that would work and that would be effective, then it was like, okay, we got to take a, you know, zoom out, take a step back and then see where this thing is headed and what we're up to. That's cool. Yeah, it was nice. And I think it was really nailed down on like the way of working that we validated. It's like, can we work in this way and be efficient and actually provide impact and learnings for the business? And once we were able to kind of validate that, that's when we started to be like, okay, so what does this look like with other teams? Because that's a great problem to have. And like you said, I think growth for a lot of businesses the definition spans like a huge, huge environment of like what they're for. And I think that's what the discovery phase is when you first start a growth team, go in different areas, try to understand, well, maybe we are just for monetization or for activation or for retention. And that's where growth teams fit in this equation. We don't need to have this best practice. Growth is managing the entire funnel. It's like, what are they best suited for within your business and the type of, and the way that you grow, that's where you're going to align your growth team. So that's why it's so different when you talk to all these different growth leaders on where it all fits in. I think the way you explained it just made a lot of sense where you need to find like company growth team fit, 
to sort of define what your growth team should be. I feel like all too common with growth folks, they have this thing in their mind. Either they, you know, they hear it or they read some blog article or they heard it at a presentation that growth is run a certain way at a certain company. And so without having experienced it or like, you know, worked through it at a company themselves, they go, okay, great. That's what growth team should be. Like that's what growth should be at my organization. Hey, leadership team, this is what growth is going to look like here. And I think that's when people can run into challenges. It doesn't need to be the exact same. To your point, it's an approach as much as it is a team. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and I think really there is to get the permission to start a team without that proper mandate. It's like kind of difficult and it's a rare thing to have the opportunity to kind of take and explore, which we were really lucky at Jobber where we kind of had that top down of like, hey, we know this growth thing's important, this way of working. Not absolutely sure where they should be positioned and what levers they should be really focusing on, uh, but let's let them explore around and give and be patient with this new thing. Because I think when you do it too early, when you're jumping in and it's kind of like, this is where it has to be, the pressure's there immediately. Yeah. And if the results aren't there, all of a sudden now things are shifting too quickly. Like people aren't patient enough with these teams to, to sort out that process. Yeah, either that or all of a sudden you get too many resources and you haven't figured out how to approach the work and how to manage and work with the engineers and it's a different type of challenge. Yeah, that would be a big time. Like if we were to scale, if we had three growth teams two years ago, we would have been like, what are we doing? <laughs> we got to move like, <laughs> and would have been me just with my head cut off running around and it wouldn't have been great. I think being patient, understanding what this looks like and exactly how these teams work and then being able to know exactly what it would look like if you brought in another team really helps those discussions within the company-wide strategy to make sure it makes sense to do that. Yeah. And so you talked a little bit about some of the, like, I think you call them design fails, but you're like, hey, early on, we had some like fidelity issues. We worked through some other challenges. What were some of the other mistakes that looking back, if you did it again, you'd try to avoid? I think it was that transition period when I talked about the agreement with product on like experimental code. We know we kind of jump around, we'll always take it out. But then that created like us just being wherever we wanted to be whenever and build experiments in different areas without really any clear responsibility of cleanup, responsibility of taking it to the end. And I think that was a misstep once we nailed our process. Once we actually got things moving and we're in a good rhythm, we started to work in areas that didn't have clear drivers or clear ownership because they were like product-led growth kind of areas to focus on. So we would be in this area and it's like, we have this great learning. We should probably like implement it and not hand it off to another product team who has does, isn't looking at this area and then it just kind of blows up their backlog. They have a different area of focus that's also really important. So we started noticing that like these areas that like have constant experimentation happening need clear drivers and the ability to take it to the end and to be able to deliver that value to the customers. And that was a quick realization probably a year ago when we're like, okay, we need to like actually be able to put this to the end. Because before we would just do it, take it out, do it, take it out. And no value was actually being delivered from our learnings because it was, you know, either locked up in a backlog or, you know, it was just kind of in mid conversations of what do we do with this? So we tried to just uh, change that environment now, but that was kind of a misstep for us. It's mm, interesting. And so over the years, how have you honed your growth skill set? You know, it's interesting. I, I do feel like you stay on top of it. You follow the people. I'm doing a second reforge course right now. Like I love all of the content. It's great. Yeah. 
But I do think, and we've spoke about this in the past, where there is diminishing returns with growth leaders. Like there is an, a common understanding at the end of the day of all of these pirate metrics, of product-led growth, of loops and whatever hyper stuff and whatever other terms we want to throw into the mix, we have a common understanding of them. I think where it becomes in the growth skill set that really matters is like, how do we work with the people? Like, how does this work within the team? And I will put that in growth skill sets because in order for it to work, you have to be able to like work with a product manager and be super passionate with that individual and that relationship and that partnership to make sure it works and is turnkey with that individual and that team, as well as leadership down. So it's kind of really about working on the work itself. And uh, the way that I've kind of tried, tried to expand it within the growth team is not just putting it all on, on myself, my own shoulders. It's like, we have engineers and designers who have way more like better skill sets than I do. They should be driving experiments. They should also be pushing areas of focus. And so we've kind of distributed this experimental mindset into like, you know, they're able to run it end to end on their own and work with stakeholders. So that's what it, what's been really fun for me is like not just putting it on your own shoulders, but distributing that growth mindset to others is a skill set that I think is really important for growth leaders where a lot of growth leaders like get really excited about the work and the actual experiment and they'll get caught up in it and micromanage it and want to drive every experiment end to end where really the, I think the power is expanding and delivering and distributing that ownership, not only within your own team, but to other organizations and other departments to build that mindset across the company. But yeah, there's my mini rant on, on that. <laughs> no, it's good stuff. And I, I know you and I have talked about this privately in the past, but how have you gotten engineers to buy into that? Because not every engineer wants to work in that way. It's a little bit of a departure from the ways that some engineers are used to working anyways. Yeah, totally. And I think that's one is just identifying what gets them excited. And I think that's a huge thing for hiring growth engineers is making sure that they're more interested in the business impact of the idea and not the technical complexity of that idea. Because if it's the latter, you're going to not enjoy the role because we're doing minimum viable tests and at a very, very rapid rate. So it's really about understanding the individual, making sure you're hiring correctly, being incredibly transparent on what the job is, and then educating them on how the business grows and coaching them and giving them conversations and relationships with sales, with success, not putting them in a silo to just focus and code the experiment. I want them to understand how sales sells, how success coaches, how we deal with retention, how our discounting works within our business, how our, you know, just all of these different strategies, we want to give that common understanding. So when they're sitting there at their desk, they know exactly what impact that type idea is trying to validate. And it gives them more motivation to work within that realm. And it's kind of trying to find those people that I like to say they're like half project managers, half engineers, half project managers, half designers. They enjoy that process. They enjoy documenting, learning, looking at the dashboards, speaking with the stakeholders. So it allows them the opportunity to drive end-to-end experiments, even though their core day-to-day is like, you're an engineer on the growth team. You're here to like technically build this stuff. But I also want them to be really, really passionate about the experiments and the end impact, which gives them, you know, because sometimes the role, there's like, dips in technical complexity. It's like, oh, it's like, this is super easy. What am I doing with my day? Giving them project management, giving them things to actually talk to stakeholders fills that day up for them. And I think it's a super fun approach and gets people in the same mindset as me, which I love. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. And out of curiosity, what Reforge class are you taking? And is anyone else from Jobber taking it with you? Uh, So I'm currently taking the monetization and pricing strategy uh, course. And so what's been really cool with Reforge is obviously it's a great program. I recommend it uh, to anyone is we've, we started it within the growth function and, you know, sharing different lessons within the team itself. And now we've had 
product leaders and marketing leaders starting to take Reforge courses as well outside of the growth team, which we love because it's a shared similar mindset and making sure we're all aligned. Because at the end of the day, it's not a one department show. You have to have all these teams with this similar way of thinking. So we have a few other jobber people on, on different programs like the product strategy one and others that are consistently taking these courses. So it's great to have the, the learning and development at jobber support that and make sure that we're able to take these courses. Yeah, that's really cool. And what have been, I guess, just some of the other channels that you've used to enhance your career and learn new skills? Obviously, Reforge is a big one. Are there other things that have helped you along the way? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've spoke about this. Reforge is great, but you don't get that hands-on, like, this is hard, like, reality. The reality checks of, like, oh, this is actually how it works at the company. This is actually how we struggled with this. And you always hear the great stories and everything, how, you know, it's all pretty and butterflies, but, you know, it's not. And it's actually really difficult. And so one of the strategies has just been me reaching out to people. And that's, you know, you remember an email that you got from me while previously when you were at Wistia, which I was really interested in reaching out to growth leaders, and we spoke and trying to find those mentors. And so I've been doing that quite a bit Been talking to, I don't know, probably half a dozen people on a, rec- hopefully like monthly recurring basis, maybe every quarter trying to just, you know, talk about common pain points. And then it's funny, every conversation I have, I talk about something I'm going through and everyone's just like nodding along, like very <laughs> aggressively. They're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And those are the types of conversations I want to be having, not like, how to identify this growth loop. You know, it's like, that's, that's siloed work, but really I want to understand like how to build a team and this function inside of a company. Yeah, that's interesting. And so are you primarily chatting with folks that work at like similar company sizes or revenue sizes or how are you finding these folks? So I definitely target, like I try to do the B2B space and we're unique and we're, we're targeting like the SMB. So not enterprise. I really try to look for those growth leaders. And that's the segment that I really try to make sure. So if they have a growth team, I'm probably messaging them and trying to connect. And there's a handful that are at a similar stage and they're actually a little bit later on. And that's where I like talking to people that have been through it and have a more established growth function to be like, what did you go through? What were the phases? How did you get there? Versus ones that were you know, in a similar stages, we're just kind of like bonding over the common stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, we haven't figured it out either. Okay, sweet. I'd like to talk to people who have gone through it and made a decision and talk about the pros and cons of what they went through. And have there been anything like major where you've like totally changed course direction based on those combos? Or has it more been to sanity check stuff before you get too far along? I think one of the main things is understanding the approaches you can take growth, where I feel like Are you going to be an independent org structure? Are you going to grow independently? Are you going to be a hybrid? Are you going to integrate into the rest of the business? And in talking to people, you know, I've seen many different approaches, but that really opened it up for me as like, be open about that option. I haven't made the decision there, but it's like, be open about it. Mm Because I think I was opinionated about it originally, but then thinking about it and hearing the phases of what people go through, hitting diminishing returns on experiments, wanting to do larger, bigger things. And all of a sudden you're kind of forming a another product type flow, like how does this actually function? And then it's the cycle again, all of a sudden you need to do experiments again. So it's this funny kind of like understanding what you're going to be hitting and what you're going to be feeling as you're working within those areas. So that's been kind of the the game changer for me is trying to understand like being open about what the org could look like. And it's just a growth team right now, maybe multiple in the future, but then what is it in phase three or phase four of that and being open about what that journey might look like. And what's really cool is that you've started to share your perspective on some of this stuff as well. You've got your Nuff Shop Talk 
newsletter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Nuff Shop Talk's been a fun side project for, you know, COVID-19. We all need our side projects. And so <laughs> that's been one for me where, you know, it's really just cutting through the Shop Talk and, and how to actually get shit done is my value prop on that. And it's it's mainly about we take all the Reforge courses, we read all the playbooks. You know, I think at the end of the day, how do we actually get it done? How do you actually work with your team? What are the things that people aren't talking about working with stakeholders, distributing, you know, decision-making to your team and trying to understand how that can function. That's kind of the content that I love writing about. And then I also like making fun of all the shop talk that's happening. So I write some, I write some fictional stories that are really like, you know, the battle of attribution between sales and marketing and writing a story about that and just having some fun while, you know, you got to have some fun with your side project. So I'm kind of letting it breathe and, and seeing where I take it. But uh, yeah, enough shop talk. It's a, it's a sub stack. So if you guys, if anybody's interested, you know, feel free to follow along and hopefully share some laughs too. I read the one about the attribution and uh, for anybody listening, we'll share a link to it in the comments or in the cliff notes for the podcast episode here. So what's next for you? What's next for growth at Jobber and Connor in general? So for me, it's it's really just continuing to add value to Jobber. And that's what I always try to say is like, I have a growth lens to it. I have like an agenda. But at the end of the day, what's the most valuable next step for the company and trying to work on that. And I think in the end of the day, where I see my fit there is scaling the growth organization and expanding our ability to experiment in new areas and actually implement those changes and actually like provide some actual you know impact and revenue and units and retention attached to the business and working cross-functionally in those areas to try to strive to be you know one of these companies that really drives forward and, and has these hyper growth stories that's what's really exciting for me from a professional lens and i'm really looking forward to work with you know everyone at jobber to try to make that happen it's awesome, man. Any other quarantine hobbies you've picked up outside of the newsletter? Quarantine hobbies. Well, the one thing I did buy was like this really cheap hundred, well, not cheap, but I guess it was like this hundred dollar DJ controller. <laughs> I was like, oh, I should just try this. And I was like, I would never do this if I wasn't like had all this time to myself. So I've been learning how to DJ, which is ridiculous. And I wear headphones. My partner makes sure I'm wearing headphones when I'm, <laughs> when I'm DJing because it's it's definitely an experiment in itself. <laughs> That's awesome. Congrats on that journey. And really just congrats on all your success up until this point. Big fan. Appreciate you coming on the episode and sharing some of your knowledge. Thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate you having me on and looking forward to, to talking with you more in the future. You got it, man. 